is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. G'day, Happy New Year. Welcome to Boarding Pass 58, operating on January 4th, 2020. This is Doug. I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two ab geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Even though it's just a date on the calendar and all of last year's problems don't magically disappear overnight, Doug and I are both very optimistic that this year will end with many more ups than downs. Yeah, Drew, this was arguably the most anticipated New Year in decades, possibly, of our lifetimes. I, I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, well, I mean, no, everything's not going to change overnight. Because remember, Greg um, put out that smart, uh, smart aleck, you know, like everything's going to change yeah. on January <laughs> it's like, Yeah, this, this magic date. Yeah, we know, we know everything's not going to change, but we can see some, we can see that 2021 may actually be more positive than negative. Yeah, yeah, I think that 365 days or 362, 61, whatever it is now, days from now, we'll look back and I, I think we will see that 2021 has this big positive curve to it as opposed to 2020, even though you could say it ended a little bit better than than it was in the middle. It definitely didn't end better than it started, though. No, it didn't. It actually is. It's getting worse. But I think the whole country, maybe the whole world is in denial. And we're just we have so much cabin fever. We're just getting out there when we the best thing to do is not. But we have some relief in sight. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, before we look ahead, let's look back. And we each had a final flight of the year this last week or flights in your case. So, Drew, what would you do and how were they? All right. So we've been talking a lot about the MD-95. You took an MD-80 flight and we did that video, which was awesome. I didn't get to go on the last MD-80 flight, so then I settled for the MD-95, which is the Boeing 717, so I'm not going to talk all about that plane because I did that trip. One of our friends, Greg, he hadn't flown on one, so he booked it, and of course, it doesn't take much to twist my arm, so of course, <laughs> I, I met him in Atlanta, and the added bonus was that he introduced me to the airline pilot guy mm -hmm. who does another podcast. So it was so cool just talking to him, not just about the MD-95, but just about being a pilot you know he's a few years from retirement and i asked him why are you flying this little plane with your seniority you could be flying in the a350 to europe and mm -hmm. he said no because on the on the md95 he's number two on the seniority list so, oh, he, so he makes his own schedule yeah yeah and he said you know and i concurred with him when you fly overseas the first few times are just great but if you're going there all the time and all you do is spend 36 hours. Is it that great anymore? Wouldn't you rather sleep in your own bed? So I definitely understand these senior pilots who are flying 737s, MD-95s. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you were supposed to be on his flight, right? From Atlanta to Chicago. But then he, oh, got, he got switched out he got at the last switched. minute, right? Yeah. So just like 2020, you know, we make these plans at the last minute it changes. So he got switched to go to New York. Greg and I were going to Chicago, but we had a good hour, hour and a half on his layover to talk to him about everything. Yeah. You know, a, a bunch of questions on the MD-95 and flying and all that. So it was yeah. really good. Yeah, that's awesome. We should we should actually do a segment sometime about how crews can get swapped out like that, where they show up at the airport thinking they're going one place and then someone doesn't get in on time or or whatever it is, and they end up getting getting put on a different flight. Cause I've got buddies who fly the 737 to Sacramento and I've I've been on tap to meet up with them for dinner several times and they text me and say, 
hey, the uh, another crew couldn't make it in time, so we got tagged to go to Kansas City or, or something like that. So it, it happens more frequently than than you would realize. Yeah, that's a good question. We should have a crew member on. Like, are they? Do they have their hearts set to go to Kansas City and then they get switched to Dubuque or whatever? Probably not. After a while, it's probably just a three-letter code that they're going to, you yeah. know, unless they have a plan there. Yeah. So I want to I want to hear about your last trip, but you know, so exemplary of 2020. I get to Chicago and there's a snowstorm that <laughs> yeah. is now going to be worse. I knew that there was going to be two inches of snow, and I thought, oh, these Midwestern boys can handle that. You know, I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to spend the night, see some friends in Chicago, and then go the next day. But then I'm getting texts from uh, Mike at work saying, now this is going to be big, and he's you know working late to handle it and it was so as i'm in chicago the board is lighting up with most of the flights canceling and i'm like oh please don't cancel washington so they didn't so i got out of there and it was so it's beautiful when you get out it could have it was like seconds from beautiful to a nightmare mm -hmm. and being stranded right yeah. so i sent you pictures of snow beautiful snow falling on the 737 we got de-iced and uh, that was very, very dramatic i don't think i've ever been on a flight in snow like that mm -hmm. so these pilots i'm telling you I, they're pretty brave so when we were taxiing out the plane was skidding a little bit there was about maybe three inches of uh, snow on the ground and you could feel the plane trudging through the taxiways yeah and i'm like is this safe so but of course we get on the runway and the runway is clear sets his brake and we do a high power takeoff with the brakes on with the engine run up i haven't had that since i flew out of orange county in 1992 probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm like this must be bad if it's at chicago o'hare he needs every inch of runway for a 737. yeah but um i'm telling you with that that plane just levitated off the ground we we took off so fast the plane was probably 75 percent full mm -hmm. so yeah very dramatic so nice and nice safe dramatic end to 2020. you you posted those pictures too i think on on our twitter so uh yeah, listeners yeah. If, if you haven't seen them go look they're they are really pretty and uh as an airport ops guy drew probably hates seeing it but as passengers or people not flying it it definitely was pretty beautiful well i was just sitting there thinking i have so much um <laughs> Sympathy. I have so much compassion right now yeah. for the shift manager in Chicago because his life is not fun right now. He's getting two million calls. Flights are canceling left and right, you know, and it's hard to make a plan when the plans are changing, you know, as the weather has changes can change, you know, on a dime. But so. sh Chicago probably gets more than you guys do, right? Like more of that. Oh, yeah. So he's probably more used to he or she, they're they're probably more used to doing that than than you at Dulles. Yeah, but I got to tell you, I there it's worse for them because they get more snow than we do. But now I'm going to uh, talk about how great our station is. So in Chicago, they de-ice at the gate. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there. No other plane can use the gate because they have to wait till we're de-iced. That took about half an hour because it's a two-step process. Where I work in Washington, we push the planes back and the planes taxi to a de-ice spot that's close to the runway. So they're out of your hair. We can bring in the next flight, you know, and keep working. We have our de-ice crew at the runway at a runway pad area so once it gets de-iced it's right by the runway so it's also less chance of a gate return for a holdover time yeah and for the listeners every plane based on conditions has a holdover time so for a 787 once you're done de-icing they may have only 30 minutes before it has to be de-iced again and i don't know if you guys have been to chicago a taxi time can easily reach oh, absolutely. 30 yeah yeah so for us 
once they're de-iced, they can be off the ground five minutes, maybe less. I, I bet at Chicago, it's more of a real estate issue. You, you guys, even though your 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 footprint is smaller than O'Hare, O'Hare has what now seven runways, multiple terminals, lots of cargo operations. So probably they probably just don't have the real estate for a drive through. Yeah, I think that's what they said. Yeah, they had a de-ice, pl- de-ice pad planned, but that wasn't feasible. So they just do it at the gate. Yeah, yeah, I got thrown on a flight. I got called on Tuesday afternoon to ask if I could fly last minute on Wednesday. I, I didn't think I would get one more flight in and um, got got to go fly almost six hours up and down the, the West Coast. So it, it wasn't as successful of a flight as I had hoped from my my student standpoint, from right. all my student standpoint. But it was nice to get out there and, and just get in the air again, see the West Coast from the air. I, I hadn't flown my plane for almost two months at that point because I've been in the sim so much so it, it was kind of a nice way to end 2020 even though it kind of came up at the last minute now it was it was a beautiful day it looked like a clear blue clear blue skies in 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 parts of the state yeah so the the first part of the flight we went up to southern oregon and we were in the clouds pretty much the whole time and we had a hold for about an hour hour and a half waiting for one of our tankers to show up and, and we were in the clouds pretty much the whole time but then as we hmm. headed south down toward la the clouds mm-hmm. parted. I, oh, I need to send you this picture. I haven't. We flew right over the top of San Francisco, the whole metro area, oh, just, wow. just off the coast at, I think it was about 25,000 feet. Beautiful, just gorgeous views. And then... And you were being you were being fueled by KC-135. We were, yeah. It's amazing how modern that plane looks with the new engines from that picture. It, it's, it's, that. Such a, it's such a totally different plane. And if you see the cockpit too, they have more glass than we do. It's, it's hmm. yeah, it's, it's a very nice plane. Yep, this KC thirty one thirty five has more glass than, than the, the DC ten. The, yeah, yeah, because they've they've gone through several upgrades over the last decades. Oh, I don't know if I believe. That. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll it, send you pictures. The eyebrow windows. Is that why you're saying the? Yeah, well, no. I mean, it's, look at the cockpit of a seven hundred seven. It does not seem like it has more glass than a DC ten. Yeah. So Gary, if you're listening, send me a, send me a picture of the cockpit. So it's my buddy who's a one thirty five pilot, and I'll I'll send it to Drew. It it is a very modern looking cockpit compared to ours. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I feel like you don't <laughs> believe me. So. Yeah. No, I I feel like you still don't don't believe me. But I, think about no, because the DC ten has that huge glass on the side. I don't. It's it's a combination front window. Si- so there's two smaller windows right in front of you, and then there's that quarter panel window. Mm-hmm. That just wraps around. That just seems so big. Oh, yeah. There's nothing on the seven hundred seven. Then that's that. That no, no, I'm, 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 I'm saying just modern glasses in like the instruments, not glasses in the. Oh, all right, in the okay. windows. Yeah, no, they're they're instrumentation. <laughs> it's it's windows, almost okay. a full it's almost a full glass cockpit, whereas we still have right. a, a lot of steam gauges and and things. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm glad you corrected me because Tyler listening to this would be like, there Drew goes again telling a DC-10 pilot about <laughs> his plane. <laughs> so you're talking about the cockpit glass. Yeah, I'm talking about the wi- cockpit window. Oh, the windows. No, we the, we yeah. definitely have the best. So some of the best in all of aviation for okay. sure. So we said at the top of the show that 2021 is likely to be more positive than last year. This doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet by any means. And this week's news recap shows that. What do we have, Doug? Yeah, the Independent over in the UK had an article titled Coronavirus has set aviation back to 1999 from a leading data analyst. And that's what they say. And what, what we're looking at here is 2020 had a 21-year drop based on worldwide number of flights. Flights are down 54% year over year in December, which is better than it was back in the spring. 
And then the passenger numbers for the year worldwide are down 60% compared to 2019. Yeah, and it's interesting because, um, you know, in previous shows, we talked about Asia being where uh, traffic is going to rise. Now, this is global traffic. We're not talking about domestic traffic, but domestic traffic is also going to rise in Asia. And sure enough, Asia is leading the way. So um, most of these flights were domestic. So the top seven routes, um, top five routes actually, were domestic flights in East Asia. So the first one was Seoul, Korea to Jeju, which we talked about in the last episode about one of our nostalgic flights. The second one is Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City. Third one is Haneda, Japan to Fukuoka. The fourth is Haneda, Japan to Sapporo. And the fifth one is Shanghai to Shenzhen. Yeah, and interestingly, Amsterdam took over uh, the the title for the busiest airport in Europe. Heathrow had held that, so now it's Amsterdam. And um, I don't know if you saw Drew the article. We've talked about the A380 and how a lot of them are getting retired and grounded. And the article mentioned that there are only 21 A380s that are currently in service worldwide. 219 are in storage. Drew, we've talked about this for as as long as we've been doing this show that these very large aircraft just don't really have a place anymore in global yeah. aviation. And this we said that even pre-pandemic. Yeah, they don't have a place. So that, that was a nail in the coffin for these A380s. But my understanding is that Emirates is going to put most of them back in service. And they had a delivery in 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had a new A380 delivered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Emirates is one of those, one of the only airlines I feel like that really can get away with flying the A380 though, because a, a lot of theirs is just connecting flows. Right. They're, they're yeah. trying to make Dubai the world's busiest airport, the biggest connecting hub in the world. It's one of the few places where the A380 really has a place still, I, I feel like, heading forward. So these airlines are taking advantage of taking people from countries that have less restrictions um, from and to. So, you know, I was wondering, like, how can how are all these people going to London still? So a lot of those people are connecting to other countries. So mm-hmm. if I'm an American citizen, I don't have the COVID paperwork to go to England, but I can go on that flight and connect to Turkey or some mm-hmm. other country that the has restrictions. less restrictions. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, was that um, was that on the next story? No. So uh, it was on this story. So Turkish Airlines is has more flights than any other European airline. So they're doing that. They're using that hub in Istanbul to tr- to take people from countries where there's less restrictions, you know, mm-hmm. to less restrictions. So they're taking advantage of that. So Doug, for our next story, um, it is from Yahoo Finance. Ryanair chief says seismic change from COVID-19 is growth opportunity. So he's saying the growth opportunities are greater than 2001 and 2008. Biggest clean out of the industry in a generation. Airlines are in greater financial positions are likely to benefit in the long run. Yeah, we've we've talked about this, that the airlines like Southwest, like Ryanair, airlines that came in with a better balance sheet and have been able to to make it through the pandemic, they're the ones who are trying all these new these new routes, these new growths. And they're the ones who are who are gonna emerge on the backside. We all know that that the the leisure focused, low cost carriers are are gonna be the ones who who make it out relatively unscathed compared to their network competitors. What'll be interesting, Drew, in the next year to three years to five years is what legacy carrier well what what legacy carriers will remain if we're mm-hmm. going to see consolidation and it, if we don't see consolidation and and if we do have some that happen to go under like we saw basically with Virgin Australia yeah they're technically still around but they're not going to be doing long haul 
is what what will that look like in three years, five years? Will will there be a huge shift in how we see air travel and, and aviation? Yeah, you know, and in fact, in this article, he was saying that fifteen um, percent of the capacity will be gone. That's a huge opportunity for people who still have some cash and some planes. And uh, Ryanair is actually getting and put in an order for 737 Maxes in 2020. Mm-hmm. So they're getting great deals, and they're going to have access to these markets. And they're talking to these airline to these cities that have lost service from low fare carriers like Flybe, Norwegian, good opportunities. And then you know we're going to talk about the U.S. in a moment, but I think the majors, if they can they can survive, they're in a good position to expand again. Yeah, yeah, that's it's good transition to this last one because there's a bullet point that really kind of feeds back into this Ryanair article. And this this last article is from the Wall Street Journal. It said airlines buckled their seatbelts for a bumpy 2021. I'm just going to jump ahead to this one about Florida. Delta actually has more seats to Florida this month, January 2021, than they did a year ago in January 2020. So even the, yeah. the legacy carriers are seeing where the demand is and they're shifting their empty, uh, otherwise empty airplanes and idled crews to where that demand is at. So it's not just yeah. it's not just the low cost carriers that are doing this. It's it's everyone united trying to yeah. point to point service and, and lots of examples around the world. Yes. And um, so the airline I work for is flying. This has never happened is flying triple sevens from uh, Washington to Cancun. I mean, and, and that's on top of the narrow body that leaves in the middle of the day. So in the morning, a triple seven going to Cancun with three classes of service. So um, now it's time to get some good deals. And, you know, it, it's not that they're making a lot of money on these routes because the fares are low, but that is where they can get some butts and seats because people can go to Mexico from the U.S. without a COVID test. And we, we talked several months ago about how the the Chinese air service seems to be recovering a little bit faster than anywhere else around the world. And right now, domestic travel in China is only down 1.4%, right? Mm-hmm. China wow, China great. has seemingly been able to get the virus under control. They don't have as many restrictions. And, and so th- this is kind of a, an indication of what we hopefully can see in, in Europe, in the US, in mm-hmm. South America, and other parts of the world heading into 2021 and, and beyond is that hopefully we'll be able to get back to to that point. And Alaska's president said that he expects 80% capacity by the summer. 75, right? 75% is what you and I have been talking about a lot the last the last several months. And so to, to see 80, that's higher than what people had initially expected. And I, I feel like that's a good sign. Yeah. And didn't Ed Bastian also throw out an 80% number for the summer? Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, I, I believe he may have said that too. Yeah, so that's that's the hope. Yeah, I can tell you, talking to some airline um, executives, this one major is, is planning for almost a full full operation for the summer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's definitely not going to be 100% of yeah. 2019 as far as revenue. <laughs> not even close, but, but capacity-wise, we're getting closer. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, so, sorry, mm-hmm. just just one last thing, because you talked at the top of the show about the pent up demand. And there mm-hmm. one analyst, I, I don't remember who he works for, but in this article, he was quoted as saying the surge in demand for air travel could be like nothing we have ever before experienced. Everyone yeah. sees it. Everyone sees it's coming. Everyone knows that it's coming. Right. It's just when yeah. is it is it the middle of the year? Is it the end of the year? 
All right, let's let's move on to some fun. We we covered we we recapped 2020. We talked about the future. Now let's get into some real av geek it, down into the weeds. I, I guess we could say, but I, I know this is a topic Drew has been really excited to talk about for the last couple of weeks. This is a feature that you noticed on your trip last week. We're going to talk about eyebrows, and even now you're furrowing your eyebrows. So Drew let it out what what's what what's bothering you well i've been concerned about this for a while not just seeing it on my trip but um, my eyebrows are less furrowed regarding this because i learned why older planes have eyebrow windows in the flight deck so to abs plane these are the small windows it's usually a set of four on the md80 or md95 it was just one set of two uh, these are above the main flight deck windows so i'm sure if you're an app geek you've seen these on older planes uh, they're found on older generation airliners. Boeing discontinued them with the 707. Before that, what was it, Doug? The 707, right? Or was well, they, it, uh, so they, no. they, they had them on the 727 737. and 737. Yeah, 740 right. was the first one that didn't... Didn't have them. Yeah. So on the McDonald's Douglas side, they had the MD-80 with those, and then the McDonnell Douglas DC-10 did not have them. Uh, you'll see them on some 737 NGs, which were actually built in like the early 2000s. You'll still see them. Uh, MD-95s have them. Um, MD-95 is a Boeing 717 if you're a civilian. Uh, provide they What do they do, right? Why do they have them? So they provide better visibility on turns. So if you're a pilot, you're on the base leg. That's the base leg, right? Before mm -hmm. you turn to final, Doug? Yeah. So when you're turning right on the final, you have a sharp turn. Now you're going to be able to see that runway in the distance through that uh, eyebrow window where in the past that might be obscured. Sometimes they're used, they were used, and we have to see if anyone actually did this, but they were used to navigate using the stars and this contraption called a sextant, which you hold up there and then you measure the angle between the stars and then you can tell what latitude you are. There's a bunch of negatives though, Doug. So they have, they cause increased glare and heat, slight noise increase with that. Uh, the maintenance costs are higher because you have to now service those additional windows. Don't need them as much anymore because uh, improved navigation systems on modern aircraft led to not having to look out the window for everything. What are your thoughts on these? I, so I didn't realize that they were used for better visibility. I, I always thought that they were used for navigation to, to use the sextant, to, to shoot the sextant. That was always in all of my aviation classes and, and everything. That was that was how we learned it. So and, and this came from pilot Jeff, right? Captain Jeff from the from the podcast yeah talking to uh airline pilot jeff or airline, airline pilot guy his real name is jeff so we're talking about this and it just seems pervasive that pilots don't like them so he said they don't like them because of the heat the additional heat um the glare so they'll just put like safety cards up there or books up there to <laughs> yeah. cure the light. So it's just a waste. He was saying Boeing eventually, you know, taking feedback from the pilots that they didn't really want them. Mm -hmm. They just discontinued them. Now, when I was young, I didn't like them because I, the older planes had them and I was interested in the newer planes, the DC 10s, the 767s, the DC eights and 707s were old hat. And I'm like, Oh, I'm done looking at these, but now I'm longing to, to see, see those them. eyebrow windows. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be around on on some of the the older generation 737s for a while. The MD95s, the Delta are going to be gone by 2025. I, to be honest, I actually think that it looks better on the MD95 without them. It, it just looks smoother, sleeker. It looks mm -hmm. better, even though the the ones that do have them, it's more of that DC9 lineage, the nostalgia. I, I just think it looks sleek 
without them. And the the 737s without them, I, I think they look really good too. But yeah, I agree. It's it's one of those when when the new planes come around, you want to see the new thing. And then mm-hmm. once the new thing overtakes the old and there are more of the new, then you long mm-hmm. for the old. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. So your buddy Gary, and I believe he flies a uh, um a KC135, which is he a did. He's he's on the C17 now. C17. Yeah. So he's saying um I think the dash 10 is the same layout, but the only thing anybody uses the eyebrow windows for is to see how far away the boom is from contact during air refueling. Cause you can look up and see mm-hmm. it. So that is great for a military. Well, we, we put a poll out asking what the listeners think about eyebrow windows. And we said we would discuss on today's show. So we asked, do you hate them? Do you love them or meh? And drew what, <laughs> what were the results? <laughs> it was um, as expected. It was meh. A lot of people don't care that much, but I just wanted to know more about it, you know. So um, the results were uh, 11.9% hate them, uh, 42.4% love them, and 45.8% were meh. And I think one guy even said, slow news day, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, not for me, because I always wanted to know, all right, let's find out why, because that's that's a pretty significant feature in the cockpit. Yeah, well, you you were... Well, I was just going to say you were really excited about it because you texted me when yeah. when you were still with with uh, Jeff saying, dude, I've got all this info about eyebrow windows. We're going to talk about it on the show. Yeah. Start looking into this. So it, it definitely is. It's pretty cool mm. to, to hear about <laughs> those same people that say slow news day. They're going to take notes on what we said and then tell all their other AvGeek friends how smart they are. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we provide the service for AvGeek so you can be smarter than the other AvGeeks. All right, so this is what the the people said. So Greg, one of our friends, Greg, who I went on this trip with, said, well, I know why they're there, but they just seem a little useless to me and just make the front of the plane look a little weird. And then your buddy Gary. Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> Gary said, and, and Drew talked about Gary already, but Gary said, I've got some, but they're kind of, and then he did the emoji that, meh. He said, useful for exactly one thing that I can do without looking outside. And I, I'm pretty sure he's talking about navigation, which we're going to talk about mm-hmm. in our, our ops topic coming up. All right, this uh, other listener, his name is Sosus, S-O-S-U-S. Most of the time, pilots place paper in the window to prevent sun shining on top of your head otherwise you only look you only you only use them for looking at certain celestial events steve tao said they give the plane some attitude and personality <laughs> I, I do agree with that it, it, it looks like it's like you said furrowing the brow almost like mm-hmm. it's upset and th- <laughs> so think think back to psa you remember psa airlines and in, in on the west coast back in the late 70s Yep, with the the smile on on the on the plane, they had the smile mm-hmm. drawn on the yep. plane with those eyebrow windows. It definitely looked like the airplane was alive. It, it gave it that personality. <laughs> so I, I yeah. agree with what Steve said. So have you look? Have you seen the nose of uh, DC eight from the gate? The way it looks. Yeah, w- with the intakes, the APU. Yes. Intake? Yeah. So when they when they were calling these planes, um, I know the DC eight wasn't a, a mad dog, but it looked like a dog, <laughs> yep. you know, because they had the intakes just like his dog, and then they had the eyebrows. So I don't know, just the face looked like that. All right, now one of our other fl- friends, uh, Nolan, said um, either that or to. Oh, well, he talked about the navigation, and then he had another quote saying either that or to open and let the flag of Bombardier fly and be seen. <laughs> he's our <laughs> he's our resident CRJ two hundred expert. Yeah. 
<laughs> he finds every way to uh, get in there. I told him I, I did not see that in the research, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll check it out. Doug, now that we know eyebrow windows are no longer needed for navigation, I think a great ops topic for, for this week centers around a key question. How do you navigate now if you're not doing it with a sextant and the stars? Yeah, I I never learned how to use a sextant. I don't know what decade that ended. It it had to have been probably back in the 70s or or even early 80s. So if anyone knows, let us know because no pilots that I know in the last 20, 30 plus years have been trained on it. It looks like something Galileo created. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it definitely does. So our, our primary way of navigating now is by GPS. And that's that it's the most precise that we can get. Every airplane, almost every airplane has it, even down to Cessnas now. They can get, mm -hmm. even if the airplane is 50 years old, you can get a, a Garmin unit, you can get other units that you put in. And so we just, we go point to point. We still go to, we, we go to um, radio beacons that we do use for backup for navigation. But most of these radio beacons that are still operational have a GPS point that sits right over the top of it. So we do what's called RNAV, which is a type of GPS substitution. So we basically, we substitute that radio beacon with a GPS point. And we're, we're legal to fly to the GPS point that's the same name as the, the radio beacon that it sits underneath. Now, let me understand this. So in the past, before GPS, mm -hmm. planes would fly from beacon to beacon, and that would be their waypoint. Correct. But yes. with GPS, do they have a more straight path to where they're going without having to they, go through the way they they do yet yes and no so if, if you look at flight radar 24 flight aware and you, you look at a, a route map and or an, an airplane's route of flight they don't always still fly in a straight point from point to point that you they still sometimes zigzag lots of reasons for that it could be restricted areas like military airspace that they have to go around but a lot of it is still the jet routes which are like the highways in the mm. sky they're yep. still they're still largely built from radio beacon to radio beacon, and and you're you're flying with GPS, but you're still turning a little bit, not going mm -hmm. in in the the fully uh, point to point straight route that you might think. As GPS becomes more widely used, they're creating new GPS routes, and mm -hmm. ATC with with the use of computers, etc is able to do more point-to-point -point navigation because it saves time, it saves gas, it gets you there faster, it's more efficient, lots of different reasons. But to have ATC throw a bunch of airplanes on the same route is a lot less uh, manpower than it would take to, to really pay attention. Okay, if I clear this guy from this point to that point, then I have to figure out where the other the other person going with altitude separation etc so that's why even to this yeah. day we still use those jet routes to to the max yeah. extent possible now um, this is another episode but when i was going to school for aviation they were talking about free flight where you would just pick your route and if it doesn't um conflict with anyone else's you can do that but mm -hmm. that seems like a long way away right because fa wants to maintain control over these routes just for the reason you were saying yeah and and we can so when when i go fly we file our our flight plan i i most flights especially the local flights i don't have a dispatcher who does it for me so i look at the charts i say this is where i'm going and then i i pick my route of flight or my students pick the route of flight most of the time atc will either have us fly that or they'll give us shortcuts so for instance if, if you're on a jet route and you're going to be making a 30 degree turn in 100 miles to get on a different jet route if atc sees that no one is out in front of you 
to deconflict, they'll mm-hmm. say, okay, yeah. you're cleared to whatever that next point is on the next jet route. So then we'll, okay. turn, so then we'll turn early. Okay. So j- just because, oh, sure. j- just because, yeah, just because I file something doesn't mean that ATC will, will make us fly that if it's longer or out of the way. I, I figured you'd find this interesting, Drew. My longest point to point on any flight that I've ever done, I took off from the East Coast, flying to Honolulu, almost a 10 hour flight, 4,000 some miles. We were climbing out of maybe 12,000 feet, checked in with Washington Center, and they asked us what our coast out point was. And so that's the point that we leave the the land on the, mm. the Pacific side. And this was okay. like, 60 points away. So I had to pull out the flight plan and flip through it, said standby, found the point, told them, they said, you're cleared direct to that point. So I hmm. went direct in the computer and it was like 2,300 miles away. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. And we, we, we only had to deviate once or twice once we got out West, just around some military airspace. But for the most part, we flew point to point straight from the East coast to the, the coast out point on the West coast. So did they give you a departure fix or they just like, don't you, don't you, don't you need one of those departure fixes to at least exit that Washington center? No. So it's, it's not, it's not like flying overseas where you sometimes have entry and exit points into certain countries, airspace. You don't have to have an exit point. It's just when you cross into the next sector, they'll just hand you off with the radios and, and you'll talk to the next person. Now, how do they know no one's at that altitude? So you're clear, you're cleared all the way through, and mm-hmm. no one's at that altitude right well, then. So they, I, I mean, there could be airplanes that haven't even taken off yet, because when we're flying mm-hmm. from the east coast to the west coast, that's like six hours, basically five yeah. five hours, and so oh, okay. there, there's there's no way to tell. Um, but that's why we have certain altitudes that we fly in certain directions of flight. So when when you're flying eastbound, you're at an odd altitude, thirty three, thirty five. 37,000. When you're flying westbound, you're at an even altitude. And so that's how they can deconflict. And if they if they see traffic, like if they see someone 50 miles that's converging on you, they'll tell mm-hmm. us, hey, turn turn left 20 degrees for traffic. So we'll do that for five minutes when the airplane passes in front of us at a safe distance, then they'll say, okay, you're cleared back direct to what whatever the previous point was. All right, one more question. What is an INU? Yes. So working backwards, we talked to UPS, we talked to radio beacons. INUs is an inertial navigation unit. So it's just this gyro that spins. So if if we lose the GPS, which I have, I've been on a flight where both of our GPSs on the airplane died. So then we had to fly radio beacon to radio beacon using what's called an INU. And it's it's just this gyro that spins and it it constantly updates itself with the GPS while the GPS is functioning, knowing where it is. And it, it can tell what the drift is based on, we we think we should be on this line. We're two miles to the right based on the INU. So it'll pull it back to the GPS fix. If we lose the GPS, we have a filter that takes all the algorithms, takes all this data in mm-hmm. and then still gives us a navigation solution that is plus or minus and and every different airplane is qualified to different navigational standards um and so ours we can be within a couple miles of center line even on the inu but if we mm-hmm. lose the G- gps we have to let atc know because then we, we don't have the same level of navigational fidelity that the other airplanes we're in the airspace with have 
Okay, got it. All right, so um, you have all these backups for the GPS. Can someone just uh, pull out their iPhone and put in? It's funny. It's funny you say that because we all have ForeFlight on our iPads, which is a, mm-hmm. a a flying app with all of our approach plates. It's got sectional maps, high charts, in route charts, etc. And we have a GPS puck that we put in the window. So I, I even if we lose the GPS and we're flying on the INUs. I can use ForeFlight and the GPS puck to get mm-hmm. it down to a better solution, basically. Yeah. And we 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 so uh civilian airplanes, general aviation airplanes probably can can fly that way. They can fly using ForeFlight as their navigation solution. We're not allowed to do that, but we can just use it as a backup, as a reference, just to see where where we're at. Yeah. All right. Well, to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our new website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter at Next Trip Podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. I know you're concerned about something. It's a flight deck feature that you noticed on your trip, and even now, your fur fur. Furrowing, uh, sorry. It's hard to say. Yeah, I know.